I'm Evan. And I'm Hannah. We're working together to make a sequel to our first role-playing game, Questlandia, and we're documenting that process in real time. So it's been pretty much exactly one month since we've looked at any of our notes from Questlandia 2. A month mm-hmm. ago, we recorded an episode of Character Creation Cast with Amelia and Ryan, some other one-shot network hosts. It's a three-part Uh, three-part series, I guess. So it's actually three episodes. We recorded three episodes about Questlandia 2. We did a ton of prep for that episode, those episodes. (laughs) And then uh, we've totally been sidetracked with other work. And we haven't looked at Questlandia since then. So today we are using the first part of this episode to just look at our notes and see what we remember and talk about how far we were able to take the game in a very short period of time. And then in the second part of the episode, what are we doing in the second part of the episode? Gosh, did we actually... Play testing? Do we know? Put... I don't think we know. Are... I don't, don't think know. we've even planned ahead. We're going to just like make it all come together. <laughs> Lessons yeah. learned. Get excited for the second half. <laughs> so who knows? But in the first half, <laughs> the we're... mystery half. <laughs> we're just on we're on a call right now and we are just going to like we're gonna look at our notes essentially live like we haven't looked at these notes in a month we haven't thought about the game in a month that's not true i think about it all the time so with no further ado evan do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like pulling together a new version of questla india very quickly that was going to be like the first version we've really ran, run, ran, runneth for other people. (laughs) (laughs) And then we decided to do that on a podcast. It was great. It was, it was the much more exciting thing to do than to fall back on our previous playtest edition. We had come up with the ghosts beforehand. We were convinced that we wanted to try to make ghostly spirit people, living in these worlds, creating them, and sort of composing the scenes. And this was our first attempt to make the mechanics of gameplay around that concept. Uh, Above and beyond that goal, we wanted to make the world-building part of the game and the character-creating part of the game and the role-playing part of the game all more seamless all just sort of run into each other and not have such a strict line between this is when you world build and then this is when you start playing. And we've wanted that for a long time. And for whatever reason, we decided as prep for this podcast, we would make a completely new system. (laughs) I think it's starting to seem kind of on brand for uh, the way that we design games. We're crisis motivated. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh, we are. You know, it's funny because it's been a month and I have this thing where every time we do a ton of work on a game and it's like so 
stressful. I don't remember it being stressful. I do remember it being fun leading up to recording the character creation cast, but where it's just like so frantic after the work is done, I just remember it as blissful. <laughs> I don't remember like us doing anything to rush. And, but I, like, I have this like little, like this, like small, like this taste in my mouth, like a hint. Yeah. Like a, a bouquet. It's like the, the, the subtle aroma of adrenaline and sweat. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we did a ton of work, but I can't remember what it was, which is why I'm excited to open up our notes again and be reminded about what brought the game uh, from, you know, the previous version to this new version that I feel like is the most runnable, shareable version we've had yet. I've got the notes in front of me, which is cheating. I don't, I'm, I shouldn't react to them before you've had a chance to. That's okay. I mean, if you haven't thought about the game in a month. (laughs) Oh my God. There's a lot of stuff in here that's new. Yeah. So so, we were uh, fuging, I think is the word. Fuging. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I don't remember. I have right now, I have the symbol reader in front of me. I don't think we've changed the symbol reader in a while. No. Um, All right. It still works. It works. I really want to redraw it, but um, I won't get all uh, artisty. That's fine. That can be version <laughs> uh, version three Yeah. So the main place where we did the work for this recording of CCC was on. Uh, I mean, I guess it was on character creation, but the sort of irony is that. You know, we've really tried with this version of Questlandia to, like, our hope is in this game, world building, character creation, and gameplay are all one and the same. That, like, by the time you're creating characters, you are playing the game. And uh, so, you know, it was a lot of work. We had to sort of make the game to be able to create characters on this podcast. We couldn't just cheat our way through just character creation. We did a little bit. It's, um, I'm really excited about how much we dismantled character creation as a actual thing in the game. Right now, yes. character creation is down to, uh, two steps. It's like you can, you create your ghost in literally like 10 seconds and the game Yeah, so on. let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I feel like this probably is not super common for RPGs. So the dream is that in this game, there's a similarity between the way that you build out a story and build out a world and build out a character, in that all of them start with a simple seed and grow in time through the events of the story, through the explorations of the world. So there isn't a ton of prep. You're just kind of in it, and everything is growing together. That's my dream. Does that describe your dream? Are we on the same page? Dream-wise? Yeah. Should we, like, because we changed a lot in the game between this last Junk Poet version and this new Ghost version, (laughs) do you want to just quickly say, like, what the game is about before we talk about, like, how that folds into this really simplified character creation? All right. Let me just really quickly figure out what this game is about oh cool cool i'll give you a minute yeah hmm. <laughs> yeah so 
Questlandia is about creating and exploring and telling stories in worlds that you generate at the table. It's about alternative ways that societies can be. It's about how they fail, and it's about how the people in that society relate to it and are unbound from it and the reaction to a society's decline. And you play as ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, that's new. <laughs> that part is new. <laughs> so we play as a number of ghosts going from world to world, learning about these societies, learning about ourselves in the process, and our own forgotten pasts and our own forgotten societies, and carrying forward some lessons and potentially uh, a new kind of life. Yeah. So for character creation in the game, the idea is that as a ghost, you don't necessarily remember a lot about who you were in your past life. And that through the game, by interacting with other ghosts and by going into these various worlds, you will sort of unlock and uncover memories from your past and memories of who you were. It's a great excuse and a great narrative reason to sort of offload character creation into the latter parts of the game and to kind of never have it be done, mm -hmm. but to have the beginning of it be quite simple. So do you have a character sheet open? I do. Which Thanks one would you asking. like to look at? <laughs> well, <laughs> which uh, one should we look at? Let's look at the investigator. All right. So, gosh, we did so much work. I know. So what That's was... what it's like looking at this. It's just like, oh my God, what's a touchstone? They all have appearances and manners and do on your turn choose. It's yeah, like, so I guess wild. yeah, we did do a ton of work. So before I can't remember even what it was like before. Um so part of rewriting this version of the game was that world building in Questlandia and character creation, like you're making so much of the world. You're making it all when you sit down. It's really hefty. There's like a lot of creative uh, overhead that it asks of players. And so we were like, what if you just have two things you need to know about your ghost when you start and then character creation is done? What would that be like? So that's what we did. So looking at the investigator, Evan, like what would be the process of creating this character if you had chosen the investigator sheet? Well, let's include that choice, because otherwise it'll be an even shorter description. Great. All right. So, so talk when me it comes it. to choosing the ghost that you will be, you'll look at the character sheets on the table, and they will have an archetype. There's a mischief maker, there's an investigator, there's a gardener, and that is like a general theme of the kind of interests that they will bring into the worlds that they are examining and into the stories. So you choose one that sounds fun. You're like a mischief maker. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like crime. Uh, and who do we have right now? Right now we have the investigator, the mischief maker, the adventurer, the gardener, and the builder. We might have more of them. That's who we have now, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the right number is. Um, one thought was having 
actually a kind of fat deck of these, like 20. And then after that, you just sort of draw a handful of them as our choices in the beginning of the game. Maybe you draw, I don't know, the number of players plus two or something. So even though there's a ton of options, when it comes to making your choice of what ghost you want to be, it's limited and not an overwhelming amount. And of course, there's, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's the possibility of switching your ghost out between worlds. But let's back up. Beginning of the game, cool. there's going to be like five ghosts on the table. You pick the archetype that interests you. I pick up the investigator, and on it, it tells me, select your appearance and manner. And there are three options for each of those. For my appearance, I can be small and brooding, upright and dapper, or a handsome red fox. My manner can be to the point, or always making analogies, or dangerously curious. That's it. You select one of each of those and you're done. I'll be a small and brooding, always making mopey analogies investigator. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, character creation finished. Yeah. That feels good. <laughs> so we're saying character creation and... It's worth making a distinction between the ghost characters that are traveling between the worlds. These have been our junk poets, our meta-level characters over the course of this game. In Questlandia 1, which was focused on one world, there was no meta-level. There was character creation, and that was always a set of characters who lived in the worlds themselves that we're exploring. Mm -hmm. Residents of this world. Yeah. So that's a process too, but it's become a lot less formal and even required in this version of the game. Um, at this point, creating a new character, like adding a new citizen or, or person within this story, is now relegated to the same level as introducing any new aspect of this world. Like, if I'm going to add the city hall or I'm going to add a norm or like a certain law that people follow. Uh, I can also name a character who lives here. And when you do that, you're just saying a few basic things about them. You know, this is a suspect in the case. And other people can ask about the character, the same as they can ask about any other part of the setting. And the character can be built out over the course of the story, just like any other aspect of the setting. So the goal here is that as we're playing the game, you're adding new things to the world, new people who live there, new elements to the story, in just a flowing, fast way where it's always an option to jump into a scene and start role-playing it, and you don't have this hard break between creation and play. So just to back up for a minute, you know, picking the investigator and then jumping directly into this part of the game where like now we're playing we're introducing new elements we can choose to add elements we can even choose to have scenes it's not the first thing you do there is stuff that we've done before this to just establish like a few light norms of the world not norms necessarily but we do know a little bit about our world mm -hmm. uh 
Do you want to say what has happened before this? No, I don't remember. Why don't you say uh, it? Oh, <laughs> I was really trying to pass it off to you. <laughs> do you like how smooth that was? I was like, do you want to say what happens before this? I don't fucking remember. Um, I, had a, I had a powerful bounce ready for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Hannah, but uh, I am rubber and you are glue. <laughs> before this well okay the first thing i do remember i'm pretty sure the first thing that we do in the game is we all have the symbol reader out i think it's before anybody's picked any junk poet sheets i'm still calling them junk poets ghost sheets (laughs) um i think the very first thing we do is we all look at the symbol reader we sit down at the table and we roll our symbol die And it shows us a path with two possible symbols. We interpret those symbols. One one player at the table will say, I see an anchor. And another might say, to me, that looks like a turtle. And we decide collaboratively, our first big collaborative tense decision in the game, whether we are going to go to world anchor or world world turtle. And to be clear, those are... Two separate symbols. It's not arguing over whether it looks like an anchor or a turtle. Yes, we will have rolled two, (laughs) and people will sort of just like broadly but simply interpret what that symbol looks like to them. I'm saying just to try to encourage my own mind to stop struggling to imagine a turtle anchor. Yeah, no. One is a turtle, one is an anchor. Uh, Or maybe a player has seen, you know, they look at the symbol and they see the turtle and they say, this is world, uh, slow and steady. Mm, Blessings on world, slow and steady. A little up for interpretation. I would love to visit there. So, yeah, so we will have said, you know what, that sounds really nice. Like, I think that we are (laughs) sailing towards world, slow and steady. And then we roll again and we roll for the ambition of world, slow and steady we roll a symbol, it looks like an ant. And we decide that world slow and steady, uh, that their ambition is to become very small, become very small, slowly and steadily. (laughs) And so it goes. And so we've, we've learned these two things about our world. And then at some point, we figure out what our first troubles are. Our first trouble. Who wrote this game? Troubles are actually um, now part of the regular gameplay. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my gosh. We did so much work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just go at it looking at the notes and be organized about describing all these changes. But maybe now isn't the worst time to mention that we have a whole new chart on the table called World Connection. Yeah, cool. What's that? This shows phases of the moon from full to new, waxing and waning, Um, and it tells you to start here at the waxing moon. We'll drop a picture of this into the show notes. I don't know if you can drop them into the show notes on like uh, in the main podcast feed, but we'll, we'll Put them in the show notes on the OneShot website. The way it looks is eight moons going around in a circle, um, going through the full transition of waxing, full, waning, and new. 
and at the four cardinal directions. I don't want to say it that way. Um, four bishop directions? The four rook directions. We have a sort of status of the moon, which affects the world. It says when you enter the world, the moon is waxing. It's becoming full. And it says this is the moment where ghosts can set touchstones. And then it has rules for advancing the moon phase. Uh, for example, advancing it to full involves adding a trouble to your world and describing a terrible and strange event. And what would you say, like, what, what would you say the purpose is of adding this moon phases chart? Like, what does it do for the story? So there's a couple things. There's, there's actually a, a number of things that this, this phase chart is doing. One thing is that it is giving story beats. It is sort of describing uh, an escalating set of troubles and changes to the society. Whenever you're changing the moon phase, it involves adding new troubles to the kingdom, changing locations, transforming things, shaking stuff up. It also influences what you can do as a ghost. In the very beginning, it lets you as a ghost set goals for the story, basically placing sort of plot hooks into the world that we can examine as we play. It also it does things like limit the ability that you can interfere with the world, change how you can progress the story. And notably, at the new moon, which is the last phase we'd get to since we start at the waxing phase. That is when the ghost passage is open, which means you can leave the world and go to a new one. So advancing the phases of the moon can be done in two ways. It can be intentionally done by players, or it can be sort of accidentally done as a consequence of how a scene went. Mm-hmm. So you don't have full control over this progression, which means you don't have full control over when you leave the world or not. So when a passage opens up, we can decide as a group, do we want to leave this world behind and go to a new one? Or do we want to stick it out? And we don't know how long we have to make that decision. The mechanics of the game can advance the phase of the moon again. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to go a whole nother loop around in this world. So there'll be these tense moments of leaving a world behind or persisting in it. And if you do choose to persist, the world undergoes big changes in that final phase shift back to the beginning. It's like when you describe that, that is one place where I see these echoes of the original Questlandia. Uh, except in the original Questlandia, you, you never had this tense choice about whether it was time to leave or not you just sort of watched your kingdom you rolled sixes and your kingdom fell apart i like this decision of like is it time to leave should we bail on this this world right now mm -hmm. and maybe missing your opportunity like if you don't feel ready to make that choice yeah you can try to rush something along to finish an arc and maybe you can finish in time to conclude it and go through the passage. Or maybe you will spend another phase 
I shouldn't say another phase, another cycle in this world. Mm -hmm. I like it. We don't really have uh, the mechanics for it aren't really finished yet, but that doesn't matter. No, you don't need mechanics. No, it just has to look like a cool (laughs) circle with moons around it. (laughs) I mean, if you pull up the image, you'll see it's full of mechanics, but they're all a little half-baked. So we'll see. So for character creation cast, Evan, the one thing that we didn't do was play scenes. It seemed like that would be just like pretty taboo on the character creation (laughs) cast. I think we already felt like we were sort of breaking some of the norms of the cast. So, you know, even though we do have, we are trying to make this game where character creation is just a part of what you can do in any scene in the game. You can add a trouble, you can create a character, you can create an NPC. What are some of the other things that you can do? You can like add a new feature and norm. We also have this thing where it's like, you can have scenes. And I feel like scenes actually could potentially work out pretty well. Like, even though we didn't test it, I feel like this is something that we did test in a previous version of the game. And we just haven't tested this version yet where scenes are like part of this soup of world building and playing the game that now exists all at the same time. Mm-hmm. We didn't do it for character creation cast, but when I think about part two of this episode... What do you um, think? I'm into it. Should we like... Okay, so here's here's some ideas I have. Um, I feel like we've kind of caught up to where we were. I think we're missing the on your turn, choose one. Oh, We sort okay. of referenced it, but we haven't actually mentioned what that is, and we haven't talked about touchstones either. So let's talk about what it means to take a turn in Questlandia 2. Really briefly, in Questlandia 1, taking a turn meant that you would set a scene with the character that you controlled being the star of that scene, and they would try to achieve their goal. In Questlandia 2, in this new version of it, taking a turn now gives you a set of options where creating a scene is just one of those options, but also lets you continue the world building and also have just sort of like high-level tools for advancing the story, and affecting the society. So, mm-hmm. Hannah, do you want to go through that list? Yeah. So, I am a ghost. Nice. As are you. As is everyone at the table. And as a ghost, there are a few things I can do on my turn. On my turn, I'll choose one. I can introduce a new element into the world. I can expand on an existing element in the world. I can reveal a new trouble by rolling the symbol die and interpreting the trouble. I can set a scene. I can advance the phase of the moon. And I can introduce a touchstone. So what do some of those things mean? Uh, Introducing a new element. These are things like I feel like this is some of the stuff that we're most bringing along from Questlandia 1. But But all of this stuff was, like, really front-loaded in Questlandia 1. Exactly, yeah. So what are elements? An element is a new location. So I can add a location to the map. 
I can add a new NPC or I can add a new setting detail. These locations and NPCs on your character sheet, it throws out some just sort of examples of possibilities for you to add in. And some of those examples are generic and some of those are tailored to your ghost archetype. Like I have the mischief maker in front of me and under uh, a new NPC and under the new NPC heading, there's some options like a charming rogue, an agent of chaos. Uh, it's not that you're required that everybody you introduce as the mischief maker is going to do mischief, but it just gives you like a nudge towards adding that kind of flavor to the settings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can always be introducing just like a palace guard or the queen's secretary or the captain of the slugs. But as the investigator, it also suggests that I can introduce a truth seeker or a suspect. So we just wanted to really like, because your ghosts are your GMing tools in this GMless game, we wanted to like infuse every part of these ghost sheets. Should I be calling them ghost sheets now? Um, yeah. With ghostly archetypal flavor. <laughs> yum, yum. <laughs> That's what I like to read on my packaging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They usually list it really low on the ingredients list. They kind of try to sneak it in. <laughs> but like, if you know, like, mm -hmm. you yeah. never want to, yeah. You don't want to accidentally ingest that ghostly archetypal flavor if it does not sit well with you. What sorghum gum is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you've ever wondered, it's, um, it's sort of, it's ghost paste. <laughs> We're going to get in a lot of trouble for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> big, big. The FDA. Ghost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the pyramid. It's all coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the food. All right. Okay, so so you can introduce a new element on your turn, but that's like a little bit overwhelming. To make that process less overwhelming, this is what happens. So we know that we live in kingdoms slow and steady. We know that our ambition is to become ants. I know that I'm the investigator. It's time to introduce a, a new something on my turn. I'm like, I want to introduce a new element. Uh, we have this ambition to, or I want to introduce a new location. We have this ambition to become small. Uh, I think that I want to introduce the location of like uh, where we keep our shrink ray. I don't know. I don't have to say anything else yet, because now it's time for every other player to ask me a question about that element of the world. Right. So I don't have to just like riff on it for five minutes. And you like, would then ask me- How big is the shrink ray, actually? How big is the shrink ray? I think it's gigantic. I think it's like exists at the center of the town square, and it's like, it's like a monument to our smallness- why don't people just take another shrink ray and use that on the first shrink ray to make it smaller? That's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's a question that a lot of people ask every day. They ask it of the town council. Yeah. 
And they say it's a lot of money. Yeah. You can't just, you know, there's a there's a process, there's red tape. So that's sort of how this process goes. Yeah. You ask me a few questions about the shrink ray when we're done, and we feel like we have answered enough questions for my turn. Uh, we would move on to your turn, Evan. I might switch to revealing a new trouble. Yeah. So what do you do to reveal a new trouble? I'm glad you asked. To reveal a new trouble, you roll the symbol die, getting one of the six primary interior symbols on your chart. Each Heart one of stars, those rainbows, horseshoes, and balloons. At least one of those was a true symbol on the chart. <laughs> hearts? <laughs> I think hearts overlap with lucky charms. On the chart itself, it gives you some ideas of what kind of troubles those might create. Like the diamond has troubles of wealth, desire, and resources. So I'd roll my die. I'd get one of the symbols. And I would describe... Actually, before I describe, we note whether... Is this a symbol we've gotten before as a trouble for this world? Here, I have a symbol die right here. Let me roll it for you. Oh, that's so cool. How All handy. right, ready? I rolled a skull. Spooky. So have we rolled any skulls before in this world? I think we've rolled one skull already. So if we've already rolled one, that means that the problem we described that first time is escalating to become even more uh, dangerous. So let's say that the, uh, the skull, the first time is that we were discovering that the people who have shrunk themselves are living shorter lives. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's statistically significant, but maybe not that noticeable. But now we just rolled the skull again. Um, and we realize that this problem is increasing over time, that the shrunken people are dying sooner and sooner, even mm -hmm. sooner than the first ones that we shrunk. And the word is getting out, and it's starting to cause a panic, and people are refusing to shrink. Our skull problem has increased. Yeah. Two skulls. Mm -hmm. This is a level two skull problem. <laughs> what will happen if we roll a skull a third time? We'll leave that for the mysterious part two. Yeah. So that's rolling a treble. I could also choose to expand on an existing element of the setting. I could just be like, that shrink ray we were talking about? I want to talk about how we first invented it. Like, I think it should, have, it should be something that's been worked on for centuries, actually. And like gradually updated with the technology of the time. Mm -hmm. And then we would go around and ask another set of questions. So another thing we can do uh, is on your turn, you can set a scene. You know, where introducing these new elements is closest to the sort of world building and character creation part of Questlandia 1, setting a scene would be closest to uh, the, you know, oh, now we're playing the game, now we're in it <laughs> section, except now it all, you know, happens as like a this continuous process. Uh, what are some of the things you can do when you're setting a scene, Evan? You're the mischief maker, right? Or the investigator. I don't know. That's an this important isn't a real difference game. between 
the new version in Questlandia 1. In Questlandia 1, on your turn, you'd set a scene, your character would be the star. In Questlandia 2, you don't have a character that's going to be the star. When you set a scene, it's more like you're being the director. You're sort of calling for a scene. My, oh, I'm the mischief maker. Let me turn to the mischief maker. So my sheet has some possibilities for scenes. It has three different types of scenes that I can call for. Like partners in crime. Everything is better with company, especially the kind that won't tell on you. And for this scene, it has specific setup questions. Like who's in the scene? What are they doing? Where's it taking place? Uh, ask the characters, the people playing the characters, what are you chatting about as you do the dirty work? And I describe, as the person directing the scene, the way that the characters are cooperating. And it comes with a list of suggestions of complications I can throw at them, like you've been forced to split up. And then finally, the closing actions of the scene. Questions that include things like, how did that get you closer to your goal? And how will you cover your tracks? So basically, you are the GM for this scene. You are creating the setup, describing who might be there, getting the other players to join in, to maybe roleplay as characters in the setting, and complicating the scene, introducing trouble, and bringing it to a close. And the way that you even, the way that you seed these scenes will have presumably happened already in these other parts of the game where, you know, you and other players have created NPCs, have populated the worlds with setting details and locations enough to have the first scene in the game. So you're sort of building out this like web of the story and web of the setting as you need the elements. Mm-hmm. Does that, is that a way to describe it? Definitely. Yeah, it's right on. Um, so depending on what kind of group you're playing in, I mean, you may have a group that just continues to sort of, um, a beef up to bring <laughs> to bring an old reference back, which probably <laughs> see the thing is you don't edit the episodes and you never listen to them again. So I had to listen to you complain about flesh out mm-hmm. over and over again. I'm so sorry. And then eventually settled on beef up, beef out. I can't remember which one it was, <laughs> but like you probably don't even remember that. <laughs> Oh, I remember. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How could you ever forget <laughs> beefing out? So, um, like, you may have a, a group that doesn't feel ready for a scene until you have, like, five locations and, like, a really, uh, like, you know, like, a big cast of NPCs and a bunch of setting details. And then somebody can say, like, yeah, I'm going to take this first scene. I'm going to take an underworld scheming scene. I'm going to lead an underworld scheming scene. Or you may have a group that has one location and one NPC, and you're like, I'm going to have an under- underworld scheming scene with my with this person, with this one person we've created. Uh, and I guess I should stop using the word my because that NPC is not your character. That character uh, belongs to everybody. That my beefed hope- out character is that by being so flexible about how scenes and world building are intertwined, my hope is that 
as you play this game and you go to multiple worlds and you start becoming more and more comfortable with role-playing and with world-building, that you can just have that flexibility with how you tell the stories. So that on our fourth world, where we feel like really confident about our ability to make this world up as we go and develop the details as we need them, we can describe a few basics of the setting and dive in and start role-playing and answering more questions as we go and mix up the way that we tell the stories uh, as we like. As we like. As we like. Yeah. So the beefing out doesn't just happen in the beginning. It's sort of beefing out. It happens both internally as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're coming to a close here of the things that you can do on your scene. Another thing that you could do, which we talked about a little bit, is advancing the moon phase. Uh, Pretty big decision to advance the moon phase, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, that's another thing where I feel like it'll be about the flavor of the table and the world you're on. In some games, I can imagine that you just build at the setting and like have the tension rise and rise and rise and rise before you ever touch the moon phase going. Or maybe nobody does, and it only happens by accident as a result of the scenes. Mm-hmm. But um, at other tables, or even sometimes before your first scene, you might be like, I want to see this story take place like a little bit farther down the advancement of this society in this crisis. And you just advance the phase. Poof. Wow. Yeah. Every phase has its own instructions of what it means to advance it. And I touched on those earlier, like adding new troubles and having strange dramatic events happen, transforming areas of the map. Um, And of note is that if you advance the phase where the ghost passage goes away it's been opened and we move on without it and we're going to spend another whole cycle in this world those have the most dramatic changes of it all Mm -hmm. potentially advancing the whole society an entire generation or changing the ambition so the decision to stay in a world is really a uh your world could really be changing quite dramatically around you right exactly so if we're going for another cycle it'll feel like we're in a new world in a certain sense anyway so finally we have introducing a touchstone this was one of the things that we added in our you know few day prep leading up to character creation cast Mm -hmm. we were just making shit up uh we're like this sounds cool i mean the question that we've gotten over and over that people have been excited about is how do these meta-level characters, how do the people traveling between the worlds change as they go through the worlds? What does it mean to advance them and learn about them? I guess that is one of the questions. Like when we first introduced the idea of junk poets, you know, ghosts formerly known as junk poets, that was one of the first things that people asked was like, do the junk poets change? Do they advance? Like, you know... Mm -hmm. As your world changes, can they learn new skills? We're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You want Of course. (laughs) We're still in the beginning of the process of that. We want them to get new skills and new abilities to change the worlds and, you know, 
to carry on lessons of the societies that they've seen. Touchstones are the first step towards that. Do you want to describe what touchstones you have on your character? Sure. You know, I think we've, uh, you know, this is sort of a fluid game where it's like, who knows who's the investigator and who's the mischief maker, but I'll say that I'm the investigator. Uh, The investigator's touchstones are a conspiracy begins, does it succeed? After I have introduced this touchstone and then answered the question, like we as a group have answered this question of this conspiracy succeeding, I get to remember why I joined the Concord of Ghosts. Or I can choose to describe a secret. After it's exposed, I may recovery, recover a memory of home. Finally, I could uh, say that someone is murdered. After we've learned why in the story, you learn your name. So touchstones are both these sort of character advancements, but they're also, you know, they're, they are you advancing by uncovering memories of who you once were. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. These have a sort of similar purpose as the character goals in Quislandia 1, where at the beginning of the world, you decide as a character, basically, what do you want your personal story to be within this world? What's something that you want to achieve? That's separate from the idea of will the society survive or fall? So the touchstones are you as a ghost saying, yeah, I'm the mischief maker. So one is plan a heist. Will it succeed? So now I'm saying I want there to be a heist in this world. And I want to set it there as a basically a group goal. Like we want to see this heist happen and find out if it succeeds. And as an outcome of completing that little story arc, I'll learn something about myself, which will, not in this version, but eventually will also mean that I have some new abilities for exploring and creating these worlds. Yeah. So this is sort of the least tested element of the game. It's weird because it is this thing that we made really quickly. And I feel like this could actually end up becoming sort of the like the central, just like a central part of what makes Questlandia 2 work. Like Mm -hmm. what makes it what it is. It's really important. (laughs) Right. Because right now, I mean, what we have is like, I think that plots will come out of these stories just with the elements we have, like with introducing NPCs and setting details and setting up these scenes. But this is like really what makes sure that plot will happen. I feel hopeful. There's a lot of playtesting to do about this of, part, yeah. but but it's fun. I mean, as a mischief maker, I can point to an NPC and say, actually... This NPC is an imposter. They're not who they say they are. And when we find out who they really are, that's when that touchstone has succeeded. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fun to set in those plot hooks. You know, you start the question, and then over the course of our stay, we answer it. And currently the rule is that you can only introduce those touchstones during the first phase of the moon. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. So... That's sort of our very beginning part of this world. We can put in our touchstones, 
And then over the course of the cycle, we can answer them. That makes a lot of sense because that will also ensure that like we don't get too bogged down in too many overlapping or like competing plots. Mm -hmm. Like there's a conspiracy, there's a murder, there's a heist, there's all, I mean, well, actually, I guess all of those things do sound kind of cool at once, but um, (laughs) (laughs) not too, too many. Mm -hmm. So that's the work that we did for this new version of Questlandia 2. It was, that's a lot. Man, yeah, this is a brand new version of the game, and we got to playtest it. We did. Yeah, if you haven't listened to those episodes of Character Creation Cast yet, I think they should all be up, uh, all three of them, where we sort of talk about our work on Questlandia 2, some of the differences between Questlandia 1 and Questlandia 2, and then we actually play the game. I think if you have been listening to this podcast from the beginning, that will still uh, I, I think it brings some new stuff to the conversation. So I think it's still a fun episode. You'll Episodes. get to see how well these ideas worked. <laughs> yeah. And overall, I think they're pretty good. I want to listen to that episode again, because afterwards, we were just brainstorming about the kind of changes we might go, we might do from here. I know, there were some and, good uh, brainstorms. I know, I remember that there, I remember that there were some good ideas I just don't remember what they were. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing we recorded them. Yeah. So Evan, for part two of this episode, this brought us through a whole episode, but I think it will be sort of a two-parter-ish situation. What do you Mm -hmm. think we're going to do? I mean, the proper thing to do would be to do some playtesting of this. Um, And I just kind of want to come up with some reason to do something else. <laughs> yeah, because playtesting is the worst. <laughs> uh, but I'm struggling. You know what we should do? You know what always works well and is the thing that makes playtesting happen is when we schedule a playtest during the episode. Uh, brutal. Brutal. You want to get calendars out? All right, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right, I got my calendar out. What do you think? When do you want to play test? A week from today? Like December, beginning of December? Yeah. Like December 2nd? That's a Monday. Is that too soon? December? That's not too soon. Let's do that Monday. Let's say Monday, December 2nd. All right. Should it just be us or should I send a message out and invite some people? Make a a thing of it. Mm. Islandia to... Play test. Um, and maybe we could invite one special person. All right, let's invite some people. It's one special person. Yeah. <laughs> A feast for you. Um, all right, I'm saying 6 to 9 p.m. Okay. All right. Great. Is make that on it the so. Make Big Things calendar? Uh, and now it's on my personal cal. Let me switch it. Okay, cool. All right. Now you should be able to see it, too. Good stuff. Okay, that's great. That's going to be nice when it sneaks up on a Sunday night. <laughs> I know, right at the beginning of a new month, too. So you don't get to I see know. it in the calendar. Until <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, December 1st. It's I know. Ah. We just pretend the next month doesn't exist. Great. That sounds good. So. If you have any thoughts or questions about Questlandia 2, this new version of it, 
Maybe you listen to the character creation cast and you want to bring those questions over to us. You can do so. Just just go ahead. You can reach us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle is a drawn novel. Mine is hand bandit. And uh, together we are design doc pod. Design doc pod. That's we our also, uh, that's our email address, right? Yes, we also have an email. Well, it's the Twitter handle too, right? Oh uh, yeah, design doc pod. This happens every time. It's oh like, man! Which, all right, let's just check. Let me just verify, just for just to make sure. Trust but verify. Uh, all right, yeah, we are design doc pod on Twitter, and design doc pod at gmail And I just want to say we are just total shit at answering emails. And even when I get to the emails, I think I'm kind of shit at my responses. If you want to be treated like shit. It's just like, sometimes, you know, it'll take so long. Like, like we have like, it's either I respond in a day or it's about an eight week turnaround time. So Mm Sometimes when I get to the emails after like two months, I just feel like there's no response I can give. There's no way that it's not going to sound totally insincere. And so I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, sorry about our delayed response time. Do, do, do. This is what we do in our role-playing games. And it just sounds like really stuck up and oh, it, it makes uh, me feel, I don't feel good about it. But send us an email. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> like, this is my work. This is my self-work. I can do this work on my own. You don't have to do this work for me. Um, to all of you who have sent emails and been mistreated, <laughs> uh, thank you for having the uh, incredible patience and compassion <laughs> of not a... <laughs> I'm just treating us really well anyway. <laughs> you have managed to <laughs> work through the fortified blockade of our broken personalities to still send us really nice emails about the podcast, despite us being flaky as fuck in our responses. So thank you. You can also leave reviews for this podcast. Don't review our email response time. <laughs> Nobody wants or, to know that. That's not why people listen to podcasts. But but the nice thing about when you leave a review is that there's really no expectation for us to respond. That's true. It's so, Emails are really nice, though. I do want to say. I mean, I know that I'm I'm making I'm making jokes, but like it's really really nice to get emails. Uh, we just oh, it's have nice for really, us. We, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> we just have a, like a, just a bad workflow. So yeah, reviews are great. Reviews are super great. It helps the podcast. It helps our mood. I mean, it depends on the review. Yeah, like we haven't not, you really know, had a review that tested our mood very harshly. Yeah, and, it's know, all been so good. At the end of the day, we're responsible for our own feelings. So yeah, <laughs> whatever you say, we'll use iMessages when we talk about how much I, I felt hurt <laughs> by your review. <laughs> you gave us four out of five stars, and I'm I'm feeling. I'm feeling a little bit completely <laughs> devastated and buried. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> no, we don't care. It's, do whatever you want. 
<laughs> you know. No, it's an, it's nice to get reviews, and it does help um, people find the podcast, especially since I'm going to say something. I'm going to say it real quiet. Somebody came along and started a podcast fucking called Design Doc. Like, man, some person, some kind of makes you feel small, right? Came along. It's like they didn't even look. Did you look up if there was another podcast called Design Doc? Did you think we just weren't? We weren't going to just come down hard on you? <laughs> well, so you know what I did? The minute I saw it, I went and I bought designdoc.com, designdoc.biz, designdoc.net. No, you didn't. I just, oh, yeah, I did. You did. Wait, designdoc.com was available? Yeah, we own it now. Dude, that's sick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, we never did this. Designdoc.com? I, I was so... I was so uh, sent into a flurry of emotions when I saw somebody else had started a podcast called Design Doc. Wait, do I we was have a like, website there? What's it? Designdoc.com. There's oh, there's nothing. It's a park domain because I'm that kind of asshole. <laughs> wow, it's not exactly nothing. <laughs> <laughs> do, maybe you mean Designdocpod.com. Designdocpod. Oh, is that the one I bought? Well, this Which one is the Design Doctors of North Carolina. Uh, that is not. Then we do not own Rhonda Design Edwards. Doctor. <laughs> 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 All right. Then I bought whichever one was closest. Design Doc. Maybe I bought Design Doc Pod and Design Doc Podcast. I'll go check. Listen, I'm going to check which ones. Design Doc we Pod bought. looks parked. I'll uh, check which ones I bought, and then anyway, I'll set this up is, something. This is just <laughs> the beginning of our of our battle. Yeah. <laughs> With that other podcast. Of our pod war. Uh, we so should have just that... named our podcast Microsoft. Why not? Yeah. You know? Whatever. I think so. There are, so there's no uh, laws. <laughs> if you have a chance, give us a rating on iTunes. You can rate our other podcast called Uber. We appreciate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tell them we're Uber. <laughs> The Design Doc intro-outro theme is written by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. I don't know why I'm still laughing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're lift, actually. We like to put ourselves forward as like a more progressive, kind company. Mm -hmm. uh, despite what might really be happening behind the scenes. So it's yeah. lift. L-Y-F-T. Yeah, our pod. other podcast. L-Y-F-T pod. <laughs> the Design Doc podcast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoy Design Doc, visit oneshotpodcast.com where you'll find other great shows like Neo Scum. Neo Scum is a future fantasy comedy podcast featuring five Chicago improvisers antagonizing their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders, a chromehead decker, a teenage candy junkie klepto, a kids show wizard with a petulant thirst for adventure, and the nastiest trekker this side of the robo Mason Dixon. Join the irascible Neoscom crew as they dole out street justice to every deeb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. It's irascible? Oh, did I pronounce it wrong? Oh, I have, I have no idea how to pronounce it. I'm glad that you were reading it. Ghibli. 
irascible, irascable, irascable. Uh, I think in my head, I always, I've only read it, and I always thought irascible. Irascible crew. But, uh, you know, now that you said it your way, I feel like probably I'm glad I didn't have to say it out loud. I'm just going to roll with it. I think that's... I'm not trying to call you out. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in two-ish weeks with an episode about scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening.